bad. Has now been around for three seasons and coaches everywhere are saving time and being more efficient when it comes to scout cards. Coach Robinson from Texas says, the thing I most enjoy is the ease of access to all the scout cards and how I can draw on them if I need to make any changes. Every coach that uses it says that it is so great to use. If you and your staff are tired of the old ways of preparing and using scout cards, check out thecoachpad.com to start enjoying scout team and making the 2023 season better than ever. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer Podcast. Uh, today we have the uh, head strength and speed coordinator. Um, I do prefer that term much better than strength and conditioning uh, at John Glenn High School up there in Michigan. Uh, Coach Zach Goodman. Uh, Coach, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Like I said, I like that a lot better, Coach. Like I saw that, like, <laughs> it's that, like I've said. That I distinguish between speed and conditioning. Yes, sir. Yep. Well, I've said that before with strike coaches. I hate the term conditioning because it's not what you're, it's not just conditioning anymore. It's yeah about athletic development. Yeah. Uh, before we get to any strength and conditioning stuff, how, how did you end up as the strength uh, and speed uh, coordinator at John Glenn? Uh, all right. So probably like every other strength coach on here, um, didn't live up to my athletic potential. I, uh, I'm only about five foot nine, so didn't get the offers and to do what I wanted to do, but I knew from a young age. So I started training uh, when I was about 12 years old, uh, so my parents set me up with a, uh, national level Olympic weightlifting coach. So that was my first exposure to strength conditioning. Um, little did I know that, uh, it wasn't like everybody else's experience. Um, I was with a guy that was training, uh, three national level weightlifters at the time. I was training right next to him, 12 year old Zach. Um, so the stuff that I saw was, was impressive, but I didn't know it was impressive at the time. Um, so I was there for a while, um, obviously played high school football, um, that sort of thing. Um, and so after probably about senior year. Before history is written, it's played before it's frozen in time. It's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver. It's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. High school, I uh, I knew that I knew that football wasn't going to be wasn't going to be the thing that I was going to be able to invest in long term. Um, like a lot of other athletes, it's very selective. You're going to have to be elite to play at the next level. I was not that athlete. Um, but I wanted to be, that kind of sparked my, my passion, interest in strength conditioning. Cause you know, I wanted to give myself every advantage I could give myself. So, uh, we were talking about starting strength. I read that book when I was a freshman in high school. Um, I kind of got into like the conjugate training style when I was with that Olympic weightlifting coach, cause that's what he used. So we used a lot of that kind of, um, methodology that, uh, isn't necessarily so common for what other people know, but that's where I started from. Um, read the five, three, one, my freshman year of high school. Um, I don't know. It was like the second edition. I don't think it was the forever the second edition. Okay. So that kind of, uh, opened up my, uh, my horizons and what I thought I could do. Um, right out of high school, I went down to the college, uh, that I'll be graduating from really soon, uh, this coming semester. Um, 
watched pretty much sat and watched in training. Um, I was an assistant strength coach at the high school I graduated from uh, for two years. So I trained all the middle school kids, um, some freshmen, basically anyone that needed help in there. I was in there. I was on the floor doing it. Um, the middle school kids, I got full rain over. Uh, so obviously I was experimenting uh, with different things um, and obviously working off of what the strength conditioning coach was doing there at the time to do that was running the rate room. Uh, so yeah, I kind of did that for a while. I took on some private training clients, mostly powerlifting and strongman based, um, have been doing that ever since. And then I landed the job at John Glenn last year. Yeah, I think I've been here for about a year now. Uh, so I got brought in through football since, you know, football kind of runs a lot of athletic programs. Um, the strength coach always comes in for football. Um, so I got brought in for football. Um, I expanded out really quick. Uh, it was pretty successful right from the get-go. Um, luckily, I had a lot of really supporting uh, coaches, at least from the football side. Um, and they they kind of had all the connections within the district to kind of get me out there and get me connected with the kids. So that took off. I picked up wrestling. I picked up um, some soccer players, track, swim, um, baseball. So I picked up a, a lot of different kids. Um, when I started there, I was getting about 15 and now I average about 85-ish kids a day um, just after school. Uh, that's not counting before school, like in-season stuff um, that I work with, with like football and wrestling. And so that's pretty much how I got started into the school and I've been there for about a year. And so far it's been, it's been pretty good. Is your goal just to be a, like a college strength uh, coach or what is your goal? Like what, just out of curiosity and it's not even on my question base, but based off that, like what yeah. is your long-term goal? Yeah. So, I mean, my, I guess you could say my immediate goal is to um, pretty much full scale, put the strength conditioning system within the school district right now and pretty much blow it up into a large scale official strength conditioning program. The PE department currently is reworking its kind of uh, curriculum, the way they run things. And so I should be landing that strength conditioning job and be running and basically turn that entire PE program into a strength conditioning program, along with obviously like state curriculum stuff like freshman PE, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my goal is never college. Um, this might sound, a lot of people really want to get into the college sector. Uh, the advice that I got from some pretty respected strength coaches was there's, there's two really good places to be as a strength coach either at the high school or the private sector. Those, those are your best two options. Um, not even from a financial side, um, high school strength coaches do make out better just because they have the teaching certification, at least in Michigan, teachers do pretty well. Um, college strength conditioning coaches in Michigan don't do as well. Um, they don't have necessarily the, the support always from different places. Um, I've, I'm pretty well connected within Michigan. So I kind of know the ins and outs of how different schools operate. Um, so, and then obviously the private sector, I have a lot of friends in the private sector, which is kind of, kind of what I do now, where I, I also coach kids outside of the district. So I do online coaching outside of the district. Um, I actually coach, I have college kids out coming in the summer and train with me where I'm at now. So I kind of get kids from all over. Um, I actually have some kids from out of, from other district that still come in and train with me after school. So, yeah. Okay. Now, now, first thing I want to hit on is, is a tweet you posted today. So by the time, it's going to be an old tweet by the time this post, but um, you made it, you made a, I, I, I'm not saying it word for word, but it is about conditioning and having a plan instead of just conditioning the condition. Yeah. And, I mean, 
kind of what do you mean i i i understand what you mean by it, but like what do you from your perspective what should a conditioning plan look like because a lot of coaches just run their kids and i think that's going more and more by the wayside personally yeah. just like obviously with the um like uh feed the cats and tony holler and yeah. tcu ran their stuff this year I, yeah. I think that's changing that mindset but do you, do you, from your point of view what should a conditioning plan look like yeah, I think that's a good question. It's also kind of a loaded question because what does conditioning mean? It means that you're conditioning the body for what the demand is. So conditioning is all demand-based. So the way that I condition my wrestlers is going to look different than the way that I condition football players or the way that I condition softball or baseball, et cetera. So conditioning is all uh, demand-specific. So at least this is a football podcast. So I guess we can get into kind of football conditioning. And um, I am of the of the belief kind of with the holler kind of crowd that uh, stacking anaerobic outputs is, is definitely the best way to do it. Um, also just playing your sport is the best way to do it. I mean, it's really hard to replicate the demands of football within a weight room. And I don't necessarily think that is a, the job of the strength conditioning staff, since there's so many other abilities that we need to develop within the weight room, spending additional time to try to replicate the sport of football is in my opinion, kind of counterproductive. Um, but yeah, I'm more on the side of, you should be stacking anaerobic outputs. Uh, you should be building up, <clears throat> uh, ground contact times and volume over uh, long periods of time. Um, and, and, and that's, in my opinion, that's the best way to condition for football. It's not running laps. It's not running Hills. It's not running around the track for miles and turning your kids into cross country players. We, we need, we need speed, uh, speed kills. We need speed. You will kill speed. You will kill force development if you're training your football players like that. Um, we all want kids to be conditioned. We all want athletes to last through a game. Um, you are not going to have athletes last through a explosive game by training them like soccer players. That just it's not the the energy demands are so different between those sports. Um, it needs to be much more in line with what football players are actually going to encounter. And that, that builds really well into my next question because you mentioned um, force development and force display there. And is another when I was going back several days ago, um, you mentioned and, and this is and this is where I articulate this more towards the high school coach who either is either new or doesn't understand this field very well. Like we talked about yeah. that before we got on here. Like I, I uh, personal fancy world. Like every high school and middle school should have a strength and conditioning coordinator that's certified and know what they're doing. I yeah. 100% believe that. Like my knowledge, even though I've been doing this for 12 years, is vastly limited compared to somebody like you who's been studying this since the freshman year of high school and knew that they wanted to go into strength and conditioning. Yeah. Um, so when you look at force development, forces play, um, you had a tweet about it a couple of days ago and it made a really good point about um how to break things up into each day and what should be combined. Do you want to talk about that, especially for the high school coach who does like a leg day or an upper body day and what yeah. that kind of means? <clears throat> yeah. So when I'm talking like force development, I'm talking strength development, I'm talking force production. So cross the force velocity curve, I'm talking about absolute force. Uh, whereas force display, that's going to be like, um, that's going to be like your high velocity. That's going to be your jumping. That's going to be your sprinting. That's going to be your force display. So your absolute force development, the amount of force you have capable um, is going to set the boundary for the amount of force you can display in a short time constraint. And that time constraint is gravity. All physical tests are just um, 
basically overcoming gravity at greater rates. The athlete that can overcome gravity at greater rates is the elite athlete. Um, the jumping, the sprinting, those are all just displays of force against gravity. Um, and so when I was talking, I was referring to, I think I said something along the lines of all, all training sessions should include both force development and force display. And so what I'm hitting at is that all workouts should be not only developing strength, not only developing that, that, um, that force, the absolute force development, they also should be displaying that frequently, right? So what I mean by that is, is not only should your training be getting you stronger, it should also be teaching your body how to actually apply that force into the ground. And so the way I do that personally is we jump a lot. Um, jumping is the most explosive display of force in short time constraints because you're you're literally jumping straight up and you're getting brought down at 9.8 meters per second squared by gravity. So you need to be so explosive to overcome gravity for longer periods of time. You need to have a ton of force built put in the ground. Um, and so the way that I do that is we do um, jumping, we do weighted jumping, um, and then that will also be paired with squatting, deadlifting. Um, and the upper body, that might be med ball throws, that might be um, standing jammer presses, push presses, things like that, along with benching. Um, and so my thought process on it is that we not only need to get stronger, we need to teach the body to display that force quickly. And the best way to do that is through frequent exposures throughout the week. So my athletes are going to jump four days a week. We will jump every single time we're in the weight room. My athletes will sprint between two to three times a week. Um, and granted, the sprinting is going to be different. So my kids might run some 20s one day on the laser. We might run 10-yard flies. We might run 40s. We might run 30s. We might run some starts. Like we're constantly just trying to sharpen that blade of force display. So you think about force development is like, it's like building a sword, building a weapon, right? So you have a sword. You're going to give your sword length through force development. That's your absolute force. That's your strength. And then we need to sharpen that blade through consistent display, which is your jumping. That's your sprinting. If you want a sword that can cut through the confines of gravity, you need not only a long sword, you need a sharp sword. And that's how I view athletes. Well, perfect, Coach. And there's a lot of ways I can piggyback that to go. And, and there's a lot of things I want to hit on that. But, like, that's that's kind of was what I was estimating. But, again, like, that's perfect. Now, you mentioned jumping with weights there. And, yeah. and I know some high school coaches are hesitant with it. Okay. One, why do you jump with weights? And then like, can you give coaches kind of example? We do like, we all see the college videos and how they yeah. apply, but those are college athletes. How do you apply the jumping weights at the high school level? What do you do? Um, and why do you yeah. do it? Yeah. So with jumping with weights, so we have that force velocity curve, right? And I'm not sure who's all listening to this and if they're familiar with kind of how the force velocity works, force velocity curve works, but we, we view like, at least for me, I view like the strength of squatting and stuff as absolute force development. And then we have underneath that speed strength, or so we have strength speed, then we have speed strength, then we go to the peak power, then we go max velocity. Okay. So we need this, we need to improve all portions of that force velocity curve year round. So we can not only improve um, athletic outputs, but we can improve the um, absorption of those athletic outputs. So the reason that I'm jumping with weights is to sharpen that display of speed strength. Okay. And so speed strengths, again, right kind of in the middle of that force velocity curve, a lot of coaches will do hang cleans, they'll do snatching, they'll do stuff like that to try to develop that. Um, but they, the cleans and the snatches are too slow to elicit those speed strength um, displays. They're too slow. Jumps need to be about 1.6 meters per second or more. 
okay? And so the reason that we're jumping with weights is because we can hit, we can tap into that velocity that we need. And so the way that I'm doing it at the school, um, it's a lot like a rank publish, you know, the rank record published thing that Holler talks about. Um, we use a jump mat. So I measure every single jump that the kids will take. So we'll do our dumbbell vertical jumps right when we come in. And so we'll record every single jump on a jump mat, right? And so we have um, a different jump wave. So I'll wave the weights um, through a pendulum wave, which is kind of how I, how I program a lot of the training. Uh, we'll put that into a pendulum wave. And so every week they're trying to beat every day, every week, they're trying to beat their best dumbbell jump with a specific weight, right? And so each, each uh, dumbbell elicits a different speed because they slightly get heavier and they go back to lighter. Okay, if that makes sense. Um, so that, that's kind of the way that we're doing the dumbbell jumps is that we're going to measure them all the time. We're going to jump all the time, but it's going to be low volumes. I'm not going to crush our kids in a session. Frequent exposures at high intensities is the key to outputs. Okay, so it's almost like the, the feed the cats. Tony Howard, they got high intensity, max velocity sprinting. We need to tap in to those high velocities, right? But we can't do that with a ton of work. We can't do that all in one session. We need that to be kind of spread out. We need rest. Um, and so I view jumping in the same way is that we're going to jump really frequently. We're going to jump maximally. We're not going to do threes and fives and tens. We're not going to jump like CrossFit. We're not going to, we're not going to develop endurance jumping. We are going to jump maximally to display the maximum amount of force in a short time constraint. I'm trying to sharpen that blade of uh, rate of force development with those jumps. So we'll jump every day on a jump mat. We'll measure out broad jumps. So we'll have like two jump variations. We'll have our dumbbell jumps verts. Um, and then we'll also do like a broad jump. We have a plyo swing. So I'll do plyo swings versus band tension, those kind of things. And again, we're just trying to sharpen that, that impulse of force. That's really all we're trying to sharpen with that. Yeah. Um, can I go from there? And um, I'll go this direction. There's a couple I could go to, but um I think I think the uh, like how I just phrase that, but oh well. How do you? Because I know I know you focus also on soft tissue development. Um, from looking at your t Twitter and doing some other research. Yeah. How do you focus on soft tissue and how? And really, from that perspective, from injury prevention. Like I mean, I mean you know as I do. I mean the number one thing with sports is availability. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't care sure. what you do in the weight room. If if you get hurt, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, how do you develop that soft tissue and prevent those soft tissue injuries that we all, as, as coaches, no matter the sport, yeah. worry about? Yeah. So like you kind of mentioned, uh, the best ability is availability. Uh, I'm a big believer in that. So like I've, I've talked about before is that we use these three methods of mass, maximal muscular tension, right? The repeated effort method. That's like, think like bodybuilding method, right? Think you're your reverse hypers, think your, your back extensions, think your dumbbell benching all for, you know, various sets of volume and tonnage um, with really the main goal in mind is that we are going to tax the muscle and we are going to build a new tissue. We are going to build more tissue to reinforce those joints. So we are doing hypertrophy work year round. Every single session, we devote a pretty much a third of our session to building muscle mass. And so uh, kind of reinforcing that soft development uh, or soft tissue development is not only building new tissue, but also um, giving your tissue kind of exposures to these different velocities. And so that also fits into brief maximal tension and also the dynamic effort method that I use. So we're not only exposing tissue to heavy weights, think straining against gravity. Um, we're also exposing it to high velocities. 
And so that's, you know, the jumping with weights. We're exposing our tissue to firing extremely quick and absorbing those contacts. Um, so that's kind of the way we kind of have a holistic approach to developing tissues. Not only we're trying to build tissue, we're trying to expose it to a lot of different speeds um, throughout the session and just throughout the year. Like we never stop trying to build muscle mass. We never stop trying to improve movement. We never stop trying to prevent injury. That is something that we keep throughout the entire year, no matter the sports season. Injury prevention is at the top of my list. Okay. Now, now what? Now, and I think there's some. I think there's an interesting thing that you pointed, and and part of that is the injury prevention. I think one of the big things I saw, and I saw over and over again, was rest between sets. Yes, and that was a yeah. big thing, and I think that's where there's a lot of different perspectives on rest and how, what you're trying to do. But like I see it frequently on yours, and and as you yeah. have conversations with other coaches, about four to five minutes, especially on like high lift sets, like we're we're deadlifting, we're benching, yeah, absolutely. Like there's difference between that and doing some like like light work or auxiliary stuff. But you want to talk about that? Why the specific rest and why four to five minutes? Um, why that is the optimal thing in your opinion? Yeah. So the reason that we're taking four to five uh, minute rests in between our, and this is our working sets, right? So we distinguish between warm-up sets and working sets. So like an example, we might box squat, right? We might have four sets of four reps. I want them to take between four to five minutes between all of those working sets. And here's the reason why is that so many people are concerned with how quick they can get a session in or how much can we get done in a session? They neglect actually getting the adaptations they want out of the exercise. So it's not how fast you get the set done or not how fast you get the, all the work done, you get the sets done. It's how fast you get each rep done. So the reason that we're resting four to five minutes between sets is because we want maximal force output in every single rep. I am so focused on bar speed. I'm fo so focused on bar velocity because we need to tap into those high threshold motor units. We need to recruit uh, motor units so quickly so we need bar velocity to never fall off. It's almost like sprinting. You don't want your, if you're trying to build top speed, if you want to, if you want a kid to run 21 miles an hour, is he going to be able to develop that running 18? No. If you want a kid to squat 500 pounds, he's not going to develop that if he's falling off after a 400 pound set. He needs to continuously be able to develop force every single set. He needs to be able to rest and recover and then repeat that force output. Um, so it really, it's not that, it's not that there's some special special number out there. Some people say three minutes. I find four to five to be best for big lifts um, and to see uh, bar speed not fall off. That's the worst thing you can do is to not give kids enough rest in the weight room. You will never see strength attestations quick enough if you're not letting them continue to repeat um, force outputs. So all of your athletes, just like sprinting, um, if you want them to run fast, they need to run fast. You want them to lift heavy, they need to lift heavy. And if they're tired, they're not lifting heavy. Okay. Now, I, I want to get to your non-negotiables real quick. Because I, I saw, um, you because I don't know, it was like two, two or three weeks ago, you posted about no matter if you had two days or four days, you do the same thing. It just Absolutely. Frequency. And um, obviously weighted jumps, we've already discussed those, so we don't really need to go into that. Um Sprinting, I think we're both on the same path of that. We've talked Tony Holler. We talked your yeah. views on sprint development. That's fine. Um, but there are two parts I want to hit on real quick. So your main lifts in your world are bench, which I think is standard. I mean, that's yeah. – I mean, uh, box squat. So let's let's hit that one first. Why box squat and say front squat, regular squat? 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, because I, 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 I scrolled down your Twitter, I mean, months from for months, and there's box squat, box squat, or box squat. Why is box squat instead of front or back squat so big for you? Yeah. So the box squat, it's not necessarily that the box is special. And that's what I don't want people to think is the box is not special. It's the method we can use from the box. The box is just the tool that allows us to carry out that method that I want. And that method is the static overcome by dynamic. Okay. So I'm not sure if you're really familiar with that. Um, but the static overcome dynamic is it's force, right? So a static state of force over or static state overcome by dynamic force. So when we sit on that box, that kinetic energy from that bar, that bar speed slows down because we're sitting on that box. And then our athletes have to quickly and rapidly develop force off that box to get up. What does that remind you of? A jump, a 40 yard dash start. You have to rapidly produce force out of nothing. Okay. Um, So the box squat transfers really, really well because we're getting more neural output from a box squat rather than a regular free squat. So it transfers to jumping and it transfers to sprinting so well. Like if you drive a proper box squat and you increase that relative to their body weight, you increase that um, relative body uh, strength to ratio, strength to body weight ratio on the box squat, if it's done right, you will see drastic changes in their ability to recruit tons of motor units extremely quick. Um, And it directly translates to jumping. It directly translates to sprinting. I can have a kid that... I've, I've had periods of time where I've had athletes not sprint for months. We just jump and we just box squat. And if those two things are going up, I guarantee you their sprint times are coming down. I guarantee it because it works like clockwork. Um, the box squat, it takes away that stretch shortening cycle out of the bottom. You have to quickly display strength off that box to get up to overcome that weight against gravity. Um, in my opinion is the superior squat variation. And that's, that's not to say that I'm against free squatting because my athletes will still will free squat for structure. We're still going to belt squat. We're still going to ATP squat. We're still going to goblet squat. We're going to do split squats. We're going to squat a lot, but that box squat is really the main driver of those vertical jumps, the main driver of those broad jumps. Um, in my opinion, it is the, it is the most superior way. And outside of just the, the neural component of the box, um, we're also maintaining consistent depth. Athletes can't cut a box high. They can't. They have to sit down on it. There's nothing they can do. If you want consistent reps, the box squat is perfect. You'll also find with box squatting is you can do it more frequently because it's much more forgiving um, on the athlete's soft tissue. It's much more forgiving. So athletes, I can I can box squat athletes heavy twice a week. I mean, I have friends that box squat athletes heavy three times a week. Athletes do not get burnt out of box squatting. It is not an exercise that will blow you up, that will um, that'll leave you out for days and days on end. Athletes can box squat very frequently, which makes it much more potent long-term as far as frequent exposures go compared to a back squat or a front squat. And my athletes still front squat. We will front, we will front box squat. Um, we don't necessarily front free squat as much. We will front box squat. We use a lot of different barbell. Um, we use the giant camber. We use the SSB. Um, we use band tension. So we have a lot of box squat variations. So it's not like we only box squat. Same with the bench press. We don't just only bench press. Um, I have an exercise library. Everything is just kind of built off that bench press, right? So I'll close grip bench and we'll pause bench. We'll, you know, press first bands, um, incline bench. There's there's a million different bench um, variations that I have in my back pocket. It just depends on what the athletes need. And that's the big thing is how old are my athletes? What do they actually need? And what is the, what is the minimal amount of things I can do to make them better? Like 
if I don't have to squat them versus bands, why would I? If I can get away with just squatting them on a straight bar, you know what I mean? That would probably be the better move until we need to use band tension, right? Um, so trying to kind of meet them where they're at is the main thing. Okay. Anyway, I'll come back to box squats because I want to finish with where this section is and I'll hit that. The yeah. other next, <coughs> excuse me, it, after the bench and the box squat was pulls. Yeah. So like, what are your, what are the pulls you focus on? Because I mean, there's a bunch of different ways you can take that. I have an idea of your, what you're probably, I could guess, but what are your main like pulls that you kind of focus on with your athletes? Yeah. Um, as far as deadlifts goes, again, I still have a large library um, and I'll, I'll wave those in and out. I am biased towards a sumo deadlift because we squat narrow. I want to build that lateral force production with a sumo deadlift. Um, I also like the mobility benefits. It gets athletes in a position to where if they get really strong in that wide stance, it's usually uncomfortable, right? It's usually uncomfortable right away. If they get comfortable and they can build force in that stance, like I've seen shuttle runs come down, um, three are like different cone drills come down. Athletes are able to put their foot in the ground laterally and produce tons of force the other way. Um, so I see a lot of value in the sumo deadlift. I also noticed the sumo deadlift doesn't beat athletes down. So again, I can do it more often because it doesn't beat them up, um, comparatively to maybe a conventional deadlift, um, or a deficit deadlift, et cetera. Um, trap bar deadlift. I do use those here and there again, doesn't beat you down as much. You can do it more frequently. Um, I'm not necessarily against trap bar deadlifts. I don't use them as much as other people do. I just see that the box squat kind of gives me the same thing, but even better, um, so if I'm going to pull, it's usually wide. Um, we, we will use like stiff leg deadlift ways. We will do a ton of RDLs, not only with just the barbell, but with dumbbells. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of deadlift variations that I'm going to rotate in throughout a year. Um, but most of the time I'm really focused on building that sumo deadlift. That's a big, like, that's a big indicator for me that we are getting faster outside of that linear pattern right we're getting faster in a wider stance we're getting stronger in a wider stance i see a ton of value in in pulling wide okay that's perfect coach um and then my my this last part of that what i'm pulling this information of your non-negotiables was fixing muscular deficiencies yeah and one for for uh uh, like i said you in terms of level of knowledge, you're you're going to college for this. I have what I would define as an elementary level of knowledge on strength and speed development. How how are you fixing those muscular dis- deficiencies? Like, yeah. what are examples? What are you focusing on typically? Yeah, so this kind of relates back to soft tissue development because that's really what this is. We're trying to develop muscle mass. Um, the first thing is understanding what they need. Like, what do what do, if you have a high school athlete come in, what do they need? And so here's the things that they always are going to need. And this doesn't change regardless of athlete. They always need a ton of low back work. They're always going to need a ton of direct hamstring work. They're always going to need some ab work. Um, I've found for my kids, we need a little bit more direct quad work, um, upper back. I mean, you've seen high school athletes, their postures aren't always the best. They're very rounded over. Um, we always are trying to develop really the chain. The entire posterior chain is where a lot of our volume goes to in the upper body. Um, the triceps, the upper back, the rear delts, those are those are really big ones for me. So I put a lot of emphasis on the triceps. Um, that's where all my kids will miss lifts at. If we miss a bench or they aren't hitting the lift they should be hitting, it's the triceps. It always is. It's always like right around the elbow. It's not that long head. Uh, as Louis Simmons will say, that's the lazy head. It's right at that medial head, right around the elbow. That's where all your power comes from in the bench. 
Um, and so really understanding what those athletes need and then programming those in. And so for an example, like my kids, they will hammer the hell out of the reverse hyper. Not only are we developing those hamstrings, low uh, glutes and low back, um, we're also tractioning the spine, which is huge because we box squat, we pull, we walk around, we play compressive sports. Sports are, we're, we're always compressed. Gravity is constantly pulling us down. That's why you see as, as adults get older, their posture, if they're not strength training, their posture will start to deteriorate. It's because gravity is always pulling us down. We're always compressed. How do we decompress that, right? The reverse hyper, it decompresses the spine. It tractions the spine, same with marching. So I'll have athletes march on a belt squat. We'll march on the ATP. Um, we're constantly trying to comp uh, decompress that spine from compression. We're constantly trying to traction the spine. Um, we also use a lot of band work um, for soft tissue development. Not only is it great for like prepping and priming different um different muscle groups, like just doing some face pulls. It warms the whole shoulder girdle up. It warms the traps up. It just gets you warm to bench um, or tricep pushdowns with bands. Again, really nice on the elbows. We'll get you warmed up. We'll, it'll, it'll get you ready to press. Um, and so we'll, we'll hammer those. Um, as far as like, if I could give you kind of a layout of like a lower day, um, we're always going to hit some sort of like hinge um, and I hate saying that because I don't follow a necessary template. It's all based on what the athletes need at that time. But right now it's, you know, it's an RDL with a dumbbell. Um, on another day, we're doing narrow stance belt squats, um, to develop those quads. It's split squats. It's lunges. Um, we do a lot of lunging, we do a lot of single leg work, um, for the upper body. It's a ton of different pressing from different angles, dumbbell benching, um, different rollbacks to develop that medial head of the tricep. Um, tons of pulling work, rows, seal rows, um, really any type of row or pull down you can imagine. Chin-ups, I'm really big on chin-ups. Right now we're running a chin-up wave. Um, I'm really trying to get all my athletes to be able to do chin-ups, especially my heavier athletes. If we can get them to do bodyweight chin-ups, we just solved a lot of problems with them. Um, getting them relatively stronger in their upper back solves so many problems for heavy athletes. It's so crucial that you're developing that strength, um, at least from what I've found. Okay. That's perfect, Coach. Now I want to go back to the box squat real quick because I got three. I got three questions left. Yeah. Um, and the box squats. Well, you can say four because box squats a two parter. Yeah. What do you like? I mean, you you see a lot of stuff posted on Twitter, and I know you posted about how does box squat. But what common issues do you see when other people post like how they teach box squat, or what do you think mistakes are made that can easily be fixed? Like, is it people sitting down too long? Is it not sitting down long enough? Is it yeah? Not, like, how do you what what things that need to be corrected box squat for people who want a box squat? Yeah. Uh, so the main thing with the box squat is, and the issue a lot of people have the box squats is just they're not done right. So here's the main thing with those is first you need the box to actually be at a good depth. So we use like a 15 inch, we use a 12 inch box with a three inch bumper plate. Um, you could, if you have foam or you have a soft topper, um, you can use 16 inches and they'll sink into it, which puts you about 14 to 15, depending on how forgiving that foam is. Um, so first of all, setting that depth to a depth that is parallel or below parallel. You never want a high box. You never, ever, ever want a high box. Um, you always want it at parallel or below parallel. Um, secondly is a lot of athletes and coaches, they tend to have athletes squat to the box instead of sitting down on the box. Um, when you see athletes squat to the box, they almost just use it like a depth finder. And that's not, in my opinion, the most effective way to use it. You should be sitting on the box, almost like a chair, unloading those hips 
and then firing off it as fast as you can, focusing on bar speed. <coughs> um, secondly, or the third thing I see is stance. So uh, I know that a lot of people associate box squatting with West Side Barbell and Louis Simmons. Um, and those box squats are picture perfect for what they do. And that's developing the posterior chain for multiply lifting. And it's also extremely helpful for athletes. You need to develop the posterior chain. But for at least for my system, I would rather have them narrow so it translates to jumps and uh, 40 yard starts better because you're, you're improving leg drive when it's a little bit more narrow. And we also, we pull wide and we walk wide. Um, we carry weights wide. We uh, do Kozak squats. Like we're constantly training wide. I want those box squats to directly line up with the vertical jump and the 40 yard dash start, 60s, all that kind of stuff. I needed to line up perfectly. Um, and so I've changed my view on kind of the stance of the box squat. I used to be more wide and now more narrow. And I've seen a lot of uh, really, really good benefits from doing that. Um, the next thing I see with the box squats is, is the pause. Nobody's pausing. The box squat, the only reason that you should be using a box squat, uh, in my opinion, is if you're going to use the sack overcome dynamic uh, method. So like I said, the box is just a tool. It's just a, it's just a tool that allows us to sit down, break up that eccentric concentric chain. Um, it gives us more neural output. If you're not using the box in that fashion, I just don't see why you would even box squat. I would, I would, in my opinion, I would rather just see a free squat at that point. Um, so the pausing, your pause should be about a half a second to a second. And really as long as the bar is slowing down, it's decelerating and it's, um, it's really coming to a complete almost stop. That's really what I'm looking for. Um, I want athletes to have to create a ton of force off that box with no momentum, with very minimal momentum. Um, and then the last, the last big thing I see is the rock back. And this can be taken a few ways because here's the thing. Everybody box squats differently. Box squats are not all equal. They're not all the same. Um, some athletes are going to rock. And this is the thing I figured out for coaching tons of box squats for years is I don't know if there's a way to stop the rocking in the box squat. Um, it's just, in my opinion, the body's way to compensate and to create momentum to get off that box, which is not necessarily a bad thing as long as it's not excessive. So if you're, if you're box squatting, you're rocking so far back, your feet are coming up. If your feet are picking up off the ground, that's too much. There can be a slight rock back because that's how the body wants to operate. The body creates speed through momentum. So the body will always want to rock. Trying to limit that is important, but, um, that's, that's the big thing I see is a lot of people rock way too far back. It needs to be, it's a slight rock. I don't know if you can ever truly stop rocking on the box unless you have them squat just to the box instead of sit down on the box. There's different cues there. I'm biased of sitting on the box instead of squatting to the box. Okay. Uh, the other part with the, the box squat that I wanted to ask you is I noticed you don't use um, typical clips and you use bands to hold yeah. the like why like that's the first time i've ever seen it swear to god so what why 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 do that like I, i'm just curious so to tell you the truth so we just got a shipment of serenix equipment we got brand new we got six new racks we got a bunch more ssbs a bunch more boxes we got a bunch of stuff right so what i figured out with the safety squat bars is the clips we had don't fit around the serenix safety squat bar they're too thick Okay, so in order, so we usually just use like rope pile bars, that type of thing, and our clips are perfect. We have these other clips that you can actually just squeeze the handle on them and they open up and then you just like let it go and it clamps it. We only have like three pairs of those and we have 11 racks. So we have like 80 some kids in there. We need to be able to safely keep weight on the bar 
we just have we just don't have enough clips to fit on the bar so we've figured out hey we have a ton of bands like we have so many different types of bands because we use bands all the time if you just wrap a band around the bar it'll keep it right there and it's easy you can take it off put plates on it's really easy all the kids know how to do it um it's just convenience at this point until we get more clips to fit the safety squat bar we never had the issue with the giant cambered bars we never had an issue with uh, straight bars it's just specifically the serenics um even the yoke bar we even elite fts yoke bar um that is fine but it's just this model of safety squat bar from sornex like it's just it uh it just doesn't have it doesn't fit our clips to tell you the truth okay i was just curious i as i yeah. we scheduled this i've literally i just keep seeing it and seeing it i'm just like yeah i have to ask yeah uh, i did yeah um my, my first of my last two questions is if you got a, uh, there's two ways out, either a brand new athlete on day, or you entered a brand new place that you know hasn't lifted a lot. And yeah. I mean, it's pretty much starting from square one with high school kids. Yeah. What would that day one look like? Or where would you focus? Yeah. So the day, I mean, if, if it was, let's just say a day one athlete, then I can talk about kind of day one at a new school, but day one athlete um my my day one athlete would come right in and they would hop right in with the group i have so many athletes that know exactly what we're doing like if you came into my weight room you will not see me having to command or order people around that doesn't happen my athletes know exactly what to do they come in they get going we hop on that jump mat we get jumping we have kids in the squat racks we have the laser set up my kids just go um i i've done a pretty good job of training them on how to how to go about things and i'm around i'm around the room i'm you know, giving kids numbers, I'm adjusting numbers, um, that sort of thing. Um, I'm constantly around helping, but my athletes are very self-sufficient without me. They, I left for Florida last week. I was gone for a week. We had 80 some kids in the weight room, 70 some kids in the weight room every single day. And it was fine. I mean, I had the football coach in there and he was just chilling in there and the kids knew what to do. And they would send me their videos and then update their stuff on team builder, that kind of thing. And I, you know, had it all right on my phone and it was, it was solid. So my athletes can coach up other athletes. I take a lot of pride in knowing my athletes can teach other kids how to do stuff. So if I had a kid come in and say, we're doing a five by five today on the box squat, he's going to come right in with the group. I'm going to send him with the group that I know right around his age group. Cause I have a lot of middle states and middle school kid. I'm going to send it with my eighth graders that have been training with me for, you know, a year or eight months or whatever. Cause they know exactly what to do. Um, they can teach him how to box squat. I'll be over. And I'll watch. Um, but again, that's the thing with the box. You know, a lot of the stuff I do is like, it's foolproof. Like the box squat is so easy to teach. I mean, you're just teaching a kid what to do, what they do every day. They sit in the chair, you know, you're just teaching a kid really that. Um, yeah. Same with the bench press. The bench press is relatively easy to teach because so many kids have backgrounds of push-ups or just benching a barbell. Like so many kids know how to do that before they even come in. It's just about me cleaning up their technique and teaching them how we bench press. Um and so really, I don't have to change much. Um, as far as the jumps go, kids know how to jump. As far as the laser goes, kids know how to sprint. Um, as far as like our specialty music or our hypers and that type of stuff, again, I'll set them with the group. They'll have a group of five or six kids and they'll coach them up. They'll teach them what to do. So I, I take a lot of pride in my athletes can coach other athletes. And that's, that's really how I function. I mean, it's me and 80 some kids in a room and there's just one of me. So like having athletes that are self-sufficient and know exactly what they're doing is so huge for how I run the weight room currently. Um, if I was walking into a brand new school that is never, you know, never really lifted weights, the strength program is bad, whatever. Uh, the first thing I'm doing is, is I'm bringing that jump mat in. I'm bringing those lasers in 
and I'm getting some initial data. I want to know exactly how fast my kids are, exactly how high they jump. Um, as far as squatting or benching goes, I want to get, I want to teach them how to box squat. First of all, get them going on a box squat, probably start them with some sort of five by five, four by six, something like that to where I can see it and they can develop some reps there. And then as soon as I can, I'm going to max them out. As soon as I can get them to a point where I can safely max them, I'm going to max them. So we have a baseline and then I'm going to start building them back up again. I mean, that's exactly the way that I do it. Um, I'm not afraid, even my young kids, I max middle scores. I'm not afraid to do that because here's the thing is that high school athletes are so weak. They will not get hurt lifting weights. It doesn't happen. The Golgi tendon organ does not allow you to get hurt. Like you will not get hurt. If you have spotters, you will never get hurt missing a weight. That is the truth. I've done this for a long time. Never had an injury in the room. Never had an issue in the room. You can max out young athletes and not be afraid as long as there's, you know, proper spotting being done. Um, and your athletes recognize, hey, this kid's starting to miss. Like I, my athletes know when kids are going to miss because they see so many reps. Like I always tell them if the bar starts slowing, if the bar goes down, if you're squatting, you're going up and the bar goes down, we rack it. Like we're not, we're not letting the kid, you know, go down and fight for that. Like we're, we're racking it. Uh, the bar keeps moving. We're going to let them strain because again, that's the thing. That's how you develop a lot of force is you're going to have to strain against gravity. If you're trying to save reps in the tank all the time, sorry, you're not going to get strong kids. It's just not going to happen the way that you want it to happen. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really what I would do is I did, I didn't, I bring that jump mat in, I bring those lasers in, I would get them going on the squat, get them going on the bench. You know, we go through an entire session um, the kids will fall in love right away with the jump mat and fall in love right away with the lasers because kids love that stuff. Kids love games. If you make it a game for them, they love it. Um, and then you'll have kids that will come back and they'll tell their friends. And that's really how you get a strength program going. You just get a few kids right in the beginning that really care because every school has those kids. It doesn't matter what's going on. Those kids are going to work for you. You get those kids, you give them great results and you show them off. You are going to have so many kids piling in over the coming months. I mean, I'm still getting new athletes in every single month. Like kids that I've never seen before show up, they hop in a training group and we're going. Um, and that's the other thing I take pride in is that I don't lose athletes. Athletes don't leave me. I don't have any competition with private trainers because they don't have any reason to leave me because they get such great results with me. And it's convenient. It's right after school. They have all this technology, all this access to all these cool things that nobody else has or that nobody else knows how to use. Um, I keep athletes so easily. Like I don't have any issue keeping kids. And that's the main thing is you need to make this fun for them. You need to give them value and you need to teach them that, hey, if you come in, if you come here and you train after school, this isn't a normal high school strength program. This isn't your, you know, Joe Blow down the street that's trying to run a strength program. This is a legit strength program. Kids believe that. Kids understand that. You will have no issues buy-in. You will get kids so quick. Um, it's it's really easy to do. It's it's simple. It's simple, um, but it's hard sometimes. It really is, especially if you don't have the support of, of other staff. But I've been pretty lucky to have that support. Okay. And the last question, which you know is coming, uh, book recommendations. Like I, I love asking strength – I love asking coaches, Gerald, this, but strength coaches particularly because I usually get some really good stuff, and then when I read it, it's really, yeah. really good, like I said – um, I'm reading starting strength right now. And that's, I got that from uh, Joy G at FAU. Uh, yeah. So like, I mean, you got any book recommendations for anybody looking to improve themselves? Oh yeah. I got a list. So <laughs> first things first is um, if you're, if you're just trying to understand training, if you don't care about the training philosophy, you just want to understand training at a basic core. I would recommend firstly, science and practice of strength training by Zatsiorski. 
Um, it sounds like an intimidating text. It's actually not bad. If you have like some context of like any sort of strength conditioning, if you read like a starting strength, hop to that like that. In my opinion, it is not a hard read. Um, it will basically give you the ropes. And I come back to it all the time. It's not a book you sit down and read the entire book. It's a book that you go through chapter by chapter and you just slowly pick stuff. You go back, you look for the answer. The answers are on there. You just look for the answer. Um, as far as like easily digestible texts, Conjugate You by Nate Harvey is a great digestible text on how to use a conjugate system. He dumbs down a lot of the really complex information people struggle with and makes it simple and makes it easy. Great book. I highly recommend it. Nate's a great dude. Um, highly recommend anybody to talk to him. Uh, the next book I would recommend, if you're more of an advanced level understanding of strength conditioning, I would recommend Super Training by Mel Sif. Um, again, that is a much more advanced text that I would recommend to actual strength coaches that are doing this year round. If you're a football coach that's part time, I don't know if you'd have that. You can really only be so knowledgeable about so many things. That's not a text I would recommend. I would recommend something like a conjugate U, something like a 531, something that's very digestible. Um, if you really want to get in the nitty gritty of science, super training is great. Um, Jared Bidney's, I don't know if you know who Jared Bidney is. In my opinion, he's one of the best strength coaches in the country. I've learned a lot, I've gained a lot from knowing Jared and working with Jared. Um, his jump book, um, he's had over 50 kids jump 40 inch verticals in high school. He's trained um, seven of the top 10 uh, Nike Spark like vertical jumps. Um, he trains a bunch of NFL players. He's, he's very great at what he does. He has a jump book out. It's a bit expensive, but it gives you all the answers for vertical jumps. He is the dude. He's the best at it. Um, as far as vertical jumps go, um, other book recommendations, mm, that's, that's probably about what I have right now that I would recommend. Um, obviously you got the starting strings, got the five, three ones. Um, but yeah, those, those are my, those are my go-tos. Okay. I will, I will add them to my, my Amazon list there, coach. Um, that's cause that's literally what I do off these is just, Oh, Amazon. Yeah. there you go. Um, but coaches, um, that's where we'll stop now. I'll probably ask Coach Beyond again later. I mean, literally, I could we I could talk to him for 18 hours. I mean, and literally, you could just go to his Twitter and add add question after question after question. Yeah. Um, like I said, coaches, follow him on Twitter. Twitter Twitter bio, um, the name, you know, I mean, will be in the show notes. Um, literally, Coach is extremely active, extremely responsive. Um, to anybody that asks him questions, I mean, he's commenting on stuff, posting videos expressing thoughts. I mean, it is a like mini encyclopedia on strengthening uh, speed development um, and, and just to have a civil conversation. Um, please don't be one of the ones that create the non-civil conversation. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have that talk. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, share, subscribe, all that lovely jazz. Uh, check out our sponsor, Coach Pad. Um, otherwise, this is another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. <laughs>